The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, listeners. Leslie Morse here again. Welcome back to the fourth episode of the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series as part of the Women in Agile podcast. This is the last of the introductory episodes in the series. You're going to hear Lisa and I talk about the companions and supplements that go along with the Coaching Agile Teams audiobook. Don't worry, though. This isn't a commercial for the audiobook and its companions. There's some real learning in here. During the conversation, we explore what it means to have a well-structured and valuable book club, as well as offer a mini masterclass on aphorisms. And if you're not sure what an aphorism is, don't worry, Lisa does a wonderful job of explaining it. I find it really fun. Our early metaphor of children's play equipment shows back up at the end of this episode. And one of my favorite moments is in the back half of the discussion when we reverence the Agile Coaching Competency Framework and how it's easy to get hijacked by the expert position we often hold as people that are deeply steeped in Agile values, principles, and practices. The way Lisa talks about opinions and the way we share opinions is really wonderful framing that I think you're going to learn a lot from. So please let us know your insights from this conversation by reaching out to Lisa and me on LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you about what you're learning from this series. As always, if you want to stay up to date with everything going on in the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series, please visit us online at www.womeninagile.org C-A-T. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and thanks again for tuning in. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Leslie. And everyone. Are, yes, all the <laughs> listeners. Um, how are you today? Um, it's a bright, sunny fall day, and I feel like that's inside, too, this morning. Yeah, yeah. When you uh, logged on for our recording today, the first thing I just felt was sunshine. Hmm. And we're recording on a Monday. So this is just for me, this conversation to help me center today and in the topic that we're going to be exploring. Um, I feel like it's going to be like my energy and my toolkit for the week. Oh, good. So, so thank you for that gift. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I like that. And for me, too. Awesome. Awesome. This is going to be, I think, a fun chat because one of the things that's coming with the Coaching Agile Team's audiobook is a supplemental PDF that has got just a bunch of goodies and resources. And so we want to talk about what that is just to let folks know that this is available with the audiobook. But there's also some things you've chosen to include in this toolkit that I'm sort of personally interested in your story of why they became important for you and looking to really just kind of, I guess, add to everyone else's toolkit around something that can be a critical piece of maybe shaping their own journeys in coaching work and just life in general. Great. I've, I'm, I'm excited that you're so excited about it. <laughs> um, okay. So this PDF has got that goes along with the book. And the only way you can get it is to buy a copy of the audiobook. is right. All of the facts or all the figures and the illustrations. And also there, there were so many lists in the book. Oh, lists. For example, like here's a list of different observations to make during sprint review. And here's a list of things to pay attention to for this. Like there were lists and lists and lists. And of course I say those lists, but if you want to practically use them, it's better to have them in text as well. 
Yeah. So there is a PDF, as you said, that has figures, illustrations, resources, references, and all those lists, which turns out to be about 100 pages, which is about a third of the print book, actually. (laughs) So you really do get a lot of the print book with the audio book as a separate way to reference um, the richness of the material. That's great. And I think the one of the most useful things about that from the practitioner of coach perspective is if you had a copy of the book and you're wanting to reference it in the conversation, it's kind of hard to just like hold that up and have everybody in a room see it. But it's like, oh, I can quickly pop this visual on the wall or share it in a screen or like in a Zoom meeting or something mm-hmm. like that. So we can all make sure we're talking about the same thing, which I think is really useful as you're going to practically be taking this book in kind of your own journey in a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And to the extent that there are lists, you can copy them out of the PDF, throw them in your own document, and it can be, you know, right there in your face as a checklist that you can actually manipulate as you're working with whatever is the exercise that I'm suggesting. Yeah. If I'm a person in an organization that's kind of accountable for helping build a, you know, our agile coaching community of practice or our chapter or mentoring circles or whatever it is, the richness in just that asset feels really, really useful to me. Yeah. I was very excited that the publisher said, yeah, all this stuff has to be accessible in print too. Yeah. Um, And what you just reminded me of can I tell them about one of the bonuses? I know. That's what I was going to say. I kind of gave you that. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited because what Leslie was just saying is if you have um, a mentoring circle or some other way that you're developing coaches in your organization, one of the things that people have said to me over and over again is that they had a book club in their organization or, or a book club in a, an agile coaching meetup people across organizations, and that the book club was so helpful for them in digesting and using and practicing the stuff in the book. And so I have included what turns out to be an an extra chapter. (laughs) I wrote a book club guide to the Coaching Agile Team's book, which, which you get in print in that PDF, but you also have the audio of me walking you through the text of that book club guide. And it really does take in all the best advice of of people that have told me over the years how useful the book club is to them and the specific things they did and how they made it really great. And the, um, you said it's like a 30 minute recording to like walk through this. So this is not like a, when you grab a copy of a book and there's like two pages of question prompts at the end, this really is sort of a almost a facilitator's guide to some extent for how to think about book clubs and really deepen the conversation and find and uncover the ways to apply this information and and make it real in your day-to-day life. Exactly. So it's a book club guide for really any book, but then has lots of specifics for this book. Um, Because along with getting advice from the Agile community, which I was so grateful to receive. I also did a bunch of research about what makes a book club work and what makes it just eh, so-so. And so, um, yeah, this is this is a whole new chapter. It's like 30 <laughs> pages of print, honestly, and 30 minutes of the audio. And it talks about, you know, that a book club has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and how to set it up well for success, how to close consciously. And then in the middle, how two roles in particular, a convener and a facilitator, can be really helpful to have the book club 
be super meaningful for people and not just sort of, well, well, we got together and we talked about the book and nothing really happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm suddenly listening to you talk about this, um, reminded of when I took, um, the agile facilitator course with ACI mm-hmm. and like a power start and the, the template sort of, of how you on your own sort of do the pre-work before a meeting. It's bringing the same level of intentionality into book clubbing. Yeah. Um, which I think is, like you said, it's a way to practice the skills we need in agile coaching outside of the context of coaching an agile team, if I'm using quotation fingers. Yeah. I mean, I love it because the facilitator, the facilitators of the book club meetings and the startup meeting get to practice what's in the book. Mm-hmm. It's great because to really um, have um, a meaningful and deep and rich book club experience, you need to start up the book club like you'd start up a team. You know, there are different purposes for book clubs. Some people do want to get together and chit chat and have a relaxation from the the manic uh, schedule of the day. Some people are want to be want to be focused on practice and sort of drills and like really getting it into their system. Um, and you know, people will come with all different intentions and usually those intentions are never revealed. You just get like, okay, we're starting with chapter one. Everyone have chapter one finished by two weeks from now. And then we're going to talk about it. Well, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not as good as it could be. Yeah. I mean, just same thing with an agile team. It's not wrong to put people in a team together and say, you know, here's your project. Y'all go ahead. But it's better if you can have someone to help that team get the nutrients they need, which in this case, for a book club, is like its vision, its tone, its working agreements. Just what like sustainable for pace team. looks like for reading. Yes. That was one of the pieces of advice I got is like, wow, some of these chapters are gigantic. Like we're having a hard time in our book club taking them in. And so that actually affected the way I recorded the audio book chapters themselves because I had heard that enough. That, for example, chapter five, which is really big, which is coach as coach and mentor, that's broken up into, I want to say, four different audio tracks, and each has its own title. So, for example, if you want to learn about coaching product owners, you go to the audio track that says coaching product owners, which is just a piece of that chapter five. And And then then your PDF that people are going to get access to has all the mapping of the page book numbers to these audio files. So like you're in the office and it's like, Oh wait, what section was that? Like I can, I can toggle between both. That's right. Types of content. And it it turns out that a lot of people do that. A lot of people listen to the audio and follow along in a book. Mm -hmm. And so this will help also in that um, book club guide that you have not only verbally in the audio file, but also in the PDF, the convener, the person who puts together the meeting invites and gets the virtual or physical room set and all that sort of stuff and answers a million questions from book club members. <laughs> Wait, what, what are we reading again? Yes. Are we? Yeah. That, that person gets a lot of help. One of the other pieces of advice I got about book clubs is that it's just a lot of legwork for the person who's putting together the mechanics of the book club. And so at the end, there's a big appendix at the end of this book club guide where they can just copy out, you know, like, here's the part we're going to read. Here's the highlights of it, like a little paragraph of the highlights of of the main points, the book um, pages and the audio file and just all right there for them to use. I think this is great. I love it. Yeah. And I think in other um, 
in some of the other episodes in this mini series that's supporting the audiobook, I think we've got other inspirational conversations around like, oh, this would be a great thing to bring into one of those book club conversations. So like, I just, I invite people as if you're going to do that, to use this podcast series as an additional supplement into the the book club conversations. Cause I think like, I, I distinctly remember us going like, Ooh, you know, wouldn't that be great for discussion in a book club or a mentoring circle or something like that? So it's like, you know, a little teaser. This is another, I mean, it's another great source of information. I love it. I love using this podcast series together with the audiobook, with the book club, you know, like a really well-formed book club, a vibrant group of people we're really exploring together. I love it. Yeah. I think it should be fun. The book club isn't the only thing here though, actually, Lisa, the thing I'm, I'm kind of most drawn to is a vocabulary word that I, as I was telling you, I'm not entirely sure I was quite familiar with, which is aphorisms. Cause I think affirmations, I've heard the word mantra, like I've heard all these different words, but I'm not really, really sure aphorism is ever a word that I've been exposed to. So tell me about this word. I'm not sure when I learned this word, but I know I've I've known it as long as I can remember. But okay. I did have to look up the dictionary definition of it. So here's the dictionary definition. An aphorism is a brief saying that expresses an opinion or makes a statement of wisdom. It's basically a wise bumper sticker. <laughs> is how I think about it. <laughs> or or maybe in today's world a wise meme or tweet or tweets. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I see a ton of bumper stickers. Uh, anymore. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, um, basically it's, it's a, an idea that, um, it's, it's like an affirmation in it. And is that an idea that I want to bring more into myself that I want to really genuinely believe at the cellular level. Hmm. So it's the inside out sort of work, mm-hmm. right? If I, ch- yeah. if, and using aphorisms as a way I can kind of, I make up, rep- reprogram some of my neuro pathways about what my beliefs are so that I can show up differently in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a, that's a good way to think about it. And the, the, the way an aphorism is showing up is that, um, I recorded, um, a daily practice, a daily meditation practice. And it's a short meditation practice. It's just five minutes. Um, But it is centered around repeating in your mind an aphorism that I offer to you. And so there's one for each day of the work week, Mm -hmm. one for Monday through Friday, um, that people can really just sort of lean into. And, and I don't want to just reveal what all of them are because I want that to be kind of a magical discovery for people. But I will say when, when I was exploring these, Lisa, there's a lovely arc to them mm-hmm. as you think about the week in terms yes. of an aphorism that helps you set almost intention for the week. And I almost think of it as like cleansing yourself and making yourself open for what is possible in the week. Um, and in the middle of the week, um, kind of tapping into the connection with humans in a way that kind of can help you overcome whatever your personal impediments may be. And then ending the week with like an, a recharge around 
um, going above and beyond whatever you kind of currently are. And I don't know, did you have an intention in the way you set the arc of the aphorisms? Well, these aphorisms arose not from me like sitting down thinking about them, but from me doing them and creating mm. them for myself. And so the, um, the arc of them, you know, kind of the story that happens during the week, as you just laid out, it just evolved over time quite naturally as I was using them myself. So these are each aphorisms you've actually used in your own practices. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, oh. these, these are all things that I really wanted to believe and sort of and definitely cognitively believed, but that I would constantly get in my own way and undermine. So let, let's talk just a minute then about like how you developed using aphorisms as part of your daily practice in and of itself. I don't know which book this was, but I know it was a long time ago because I can imagine myself in a huddle room at a, at a big company that I was working with here in Richmond, Virginia. And, and somehow I'd come across this book by Deepak Chopra, or maybe it was an, an audio recording. At any rate, he had daily mantras. And it was a phrase that you would just say over and over in your head. And the phrases were in Sanskrit. They weren't even in English. Um, and then there was a rough English translation. But like, for example, one is, was just the word moksha, 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 or the sounds of that. And that means I'm emotionally free, roughly translated. But, but what happened is I found the act of just sitting down in that huddle room for just five minutes a day, repeating that mantra to be so necessary for, as you said, Leslie, cleansing the stuff I needed to get rid of so that I could be open to what was actually happening with people versus coming at them with my great thoughts, good intentions, personal agendas, on and on. So that's how I started it years and years and years ago. And, um, and then after using those uh, mantras from Deepak Chopra for quite a while, then I started to get these small phrases in my head of things that I was working on that would help me step into the level of agile coaching I really wanted to step into. And then I started using those. And so this is really so precious to me to now to be able to offer them, you know, not just by writing them down and in print, but in a guided meditation that I lead you through every single workday. And let me tell you, let me tell listeners this, having listened to one of these, um, cause you gave me the gift of getting to listen to one of them. Um, you should also just be in the business of recording guided meditations, Lisa, because it is very, very soothing and relaxing. Like I was like, I'm totally feeling into this. Like it, you do a great job of creating that, that space. So thank you. Yeah, and thank you. I think you may have found <clears throat> some new calling in life. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm very much patterned by um, the meditation teachers I've listened to, like Deepak Chopra and, of course, yoga teachers. And so <laughs> of the very many years of listening to those sorts of people, I guess it's gotten in there a little bit. And and how much would you say, right, because you've, you've referenced this sort of stuff in your stories before around what the practices that have led you to become kind of the Lisa you are today. Mm -hmm. um, 
But how pervasive would you say practices like this are amongst the best of the agile coaches out there? Like, is this a thing lots and lots of folks are already doing, or you think this is still kind of bleeding edge practice in our profession? I think lots and lots of people are doing it. Some sort of mindfulness, some sort of mindfulness up to sitting meditation. Um, Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of people are doing it and almost no one has not heard of it anymore. And I'll give you an example. Um, In the last year in Agile Coaching Institute's curriculum for Agile coaches, we have brought in five minutes of um, sitting meditation before the first coaching, when people go out and try these skills they've just learned in the class for the first time, which tends to be a really tense time. They're very anxious, trying to get it right, worried how it's going to go. And we, instead of just launching them into it, take them into five minutes of meditation. Let me tell you what, there is no one that goes, I'm not going to do this. Not one person. And most people go, oh, thank God we're going to do this. So I think that that has changed a lot in the last 10 years or so. Yeah. There is so much more normalized in our world. And I really do thank yoga for that. Actually. I think yoga is sort of the entry for some of the, um, other mindfulness and meditation practices. Yeah. The, it, I think what you said around kind of, you know, the, the cleansing and preparing yourself to not, it's like calm your own monkey brain, right? Quiet all of those thoughts so that you're not projecting upon whatever the team or the person is, all of your own beliefs uh, is the reason kind of why this seems important for me because we do in the agile coaching space have to really navigate that line between um, expert and coach, right? If you think about the sides of the agile coaching competency Mm -hmm. framework, where we hold the role of process authority Mm -hmm. versus content authority Mm -hmm. and the, and the ability to navigate between those stances um, takes a lot of just awareness in the moment and presence of mind. Yes. And for so many people, the content authority side where you are expressing your expertise in agile by teaching or mentoring gets overlaid by a habit so much of us have, which is to give our opinion about everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Not just about agile, but about, oh, what should happen with your product direction? And, oh, I think that, you know, we should go have Italian for lunch instead of Indian. Like, you know, every moment people are expressing their opinions. And one of the most um, like horrible and wonderful ideas that occurred to me um, was that if I express my opinion, it's just another opinion. And the team's got plenty of those. Yeah. We've got plenty of opinions. What they don't have is someone paying attention to how they're functioning, how their work together is either very alive and creative and they need you to, to help them see that or how their work together is very stuck and mechanical and they need you to help them see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where they're, um, that's the perfect sort of illustration of why uh, the quote that Portia Tung gave me in one of the very first um, 
Women in Agile podcast episodes was, uh, and I can't ever remember who said it, but you cannot give what it is you do not have. Right. And this is where if if a role or of a value we provide to those that we're coaching is that reflection of seeing how you're working and where it's bound or where it's free and all of that versus just giving people other opinions. You can't do that well for people if you're not taking the time to understand how you're showing up and where you're bound up in work. And so this, this aphorisms thing is almost a way to just, you know, erase the paper so, or, or clean the mirror, maybe get the fog off the mirror so you can reflect to others better. I like that. Okay. The, um, do you mind sharing maybe some of the aphorisms you're using in your life right now? Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. The one I'm working on right now is may I be free functioning in turbulent times. Mm-hmm. And I just say that over and over myself. May I be free functioning in turbulent times. May I be free functioning in turbulent times. When you sit, I assume, in the mornings Hmm. and use this aphorism, um, what are you noticing from the moment you sort of sit and you start that in your head, telling yourself over and over again through the course of those minutes of the practice? Well, it just happened. Like I get so powerfully aligned in mind, body, and spirit. Like I, like tears have come to my eyes just mm-hmm. saying that three times um, because it really is my highest vow right now, my highest aspiration because um, the last thing I believe we need are more people running around like chickens with their heads cut off in these turbulent times. And so the more I can remain open and available and, you know, like sort of like a martial artist, like be ready to move in any direction that's necessary, then I think the more I can be helpful and the more I'll live a fulfilled life. I love that. Now, it didn't start that way. I mean, this is what happens with with (laughs) aphorisms, right? Like it starts because it's a great aspiration that you want and it doesn't feel that way right now. And so... You know, I remember I started saying that aphorism in um, in probably February of this year. Um, and it at first it was just mechanical and like I would forget it really easily. My mind would wander and I'd have to bring my mind back a thousand times. Um, and I really didn't, I really kind of didn't believe it. But over time, um, you're right, Leslie, this actually rewires us. It's not just a cognitive exercise. These sorts of things actually do reorganize us. Um, and it reor- this one is reorganizing me to genuinely be more available and free functioning, even when it's very difficult. Yeah. And there's the gift of the experience of having that rewiring happen it's kind of like upgrading your own internal operating system, I think is so important for the work we do, because as we're kind of bringing the gift of agility to others, we are asking them to rewire the ways that they believe and what they think and and guides kind of the way that they behave and show up with each other in the pursuit of delivering value to whoever our customers and constituents are. So I think the being able to tell the stories of what are the practices that help you, I think can help just not only 
you hone your own craft and ability to add value, but also inspire others on their own journeys. Yeah. And I think that's also um, a wonderful thing for me because I see it in my teachers and then I'm a teacher to so many people mm-hmm. and um, my teachers are constantly um, taking their next step too. Um, and what's wonderful about it is the relaxation in the practice itself. Like um, that. So each of the aphorisms that I offer in the um, bonus material for the audiobook are ones that are now completely part of me. You know, and so I now I have the practice and I've got that muscle created to bring in other ones that I want to be part of me, like the one I just said that I'm working on now. Right. And so I think there's there's an interesting thing here. And we'll, maybe we'll use this as sort of the landing point around aphorisms is like aphorism overload could be a thing. Oh, for sure. Like There are so many that sound so great. But it sounds like in, in this pattern that you're offering with the with the audiobook is there is a different one for each day. And I imagine you keep up that pattern for as long as sort of that transition from it feels like a cognitive intellectual exercise to it feels like part of my being. Yeah. Um, but I all I almost kind of feel like um, the moment you have a hint, it's part of your being, that's not when you stop because you probably should keep going past that for a while to really, really have it steeped within you. Yeah. So from your own personal experience, like how long might someone commit to an aphorism or a set of aphorism, aphorisms? You know, I think even if you have the highest level of commitment to it, um, you're going to do it for maybe a few months and then forget about it. And then something will happen and you're like, Oh, I'm still learning that one. So then Mm -hmm. you will pick it up again. I mean, that's, I think that's the nature of the human experience is remember, forget, remember, forget. And so, you know, coming back for several, uh, you know, layers of the varnish on the beautiful table here is fine. That's a fine way to do it. Yeah. And so I would, who knows? I mean, some of those mantras, um, Uh, excuse me, some of these aphorisms, we should probably talk about mantra and aphorism. Some of these aphorisms, um, that I'm offering, you know, it, they, I worked on them for more than a year. Mm. I'm not, I'm not sure it was multiple years, but it was definitely more than a year. Yeah. So let's, let's give people a little piece of candy. Okay. So there's, there's five of them and right. You have used all five of these in your practice Yes. in cultivating who you are today. Which one of them was probably the most challenging for you to really, really embrace and internalize? Um, it's the one that says mistakes and messiness are necessary. We are all learning. Mm. Say more about why that was important to you and challenging. Well, You know, I had, as so many people know, 14 years as a project manager before becoming an Agilist. And in that world, it's completely about trying to neaten things up and make them orderly and sort of make them stay in line the whole time. Yeah. And so it was really hard for me to train myself out of that and to actually enjoy the fact that it's not going to go according to plan. People are going to disappoint me. People are going to do things different than I would have done, you know, and all of that is normal. And, and the way 
that it makes it worth it for me to sort of tolerate all that rather than trying to continue to force it into my way of doing things is because we are all learning. Because when I allow the mistakes and messiness to happen out there, as if I could even prevent it, (laughs) that's a different one. But as as I get more comfortable with it and allow more of it to happen instead of trying to control it, Um, then I can see that I was wrong too. Mm. Like I didn't have the gold standard way to do something when I thought I did because then I can see that their mistakes and messiness led to something better than I could have offered. Yeah. So we're all learning, including me. And there's a great upside in the mistakes and messiness. Yeah. I I love that. And it it happens to relate very well to the one that I'm most fond of in this list, which is, um, I am only partially right. I stay curious and see how others are right. Um, and that relinquishing of control about the need to be the expert and the need to have that golden answer or whatever it is. Um, because while as you're rewiring around topics like this, and this is is one that I've sort of been working on in my own life, it's really easy to sort of feel crazy once you're able to hold multiple competing perspectives as true at the same time. And that understanding that even my truth to some extent is only partially right. Um, So I just, especially in the world of agility, if you think about that first line of the manifesto, we are uncovering different and better ways of adding value or creating value, right? But we're uncovering new ways. That means there is no right way because we actually haven't figured it out yet. It is something new. So whatever I believe in this moment probably isn't right. It's just right partially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, I'm excited for what people are going to be able to create. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So let me just say a little bit about mantras and aphorisms. Yes, important, I was going to ask you It's that. important to me, this this point. So I originally called these daily mantras. And when I was doing them myself for years and years and years, I call them here. These are my daily mantras. Then when I was getting ready to record these um, sayings for all of you to use every day, I did some research about mantras. Something didn't feel right to me about the word mantra all of a sudden. And I did some research about it. And it turns out, like many things... We in the West have usurped the deeper meaning of a word or of a concept. So a mantra is actually a very deep and meaningful thing in its original intention. And a mantra itself, like just the act of saying the sounds itself, is a reorganizing principle for your mind, body, and energy. That's why it doesn't matter if you don't know what the words mean when you're saying those syllables in a mantra. And so clearly I wasn't doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, now that I understand what that's really about and I really honor the depth and beauty of it, I can't possibly say these are daily mantras. And so I was like, so what are they? Their sayings, their mottos, their bumper stickers. And the word aphorism came to me. And I guess, as I said at the beginning of this, I've just known that word as long as I can remember, but hadn't really applied it to this. And when I looked it up, I'm like, yep, that's it. It's a statement of belief or a statement of wisdom. I hope there's some wisdom in this. Let's call them aphorisms. That, uh, yeah. Talk about, right, you know, we're all learning. That was just like, 
perfect illustration of we're all learning (laughs) and you were right kind of partially. That's right. And like, it was sort of like a mantra, but not really. really. So we're going to (laughs) learn. And that might've been a little messy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we've, we've talked about the, you've got all the figures and the illustrations and the lists in this PDF. You've got the book club guide in this PDF. You've got the, um, information about the aphorisms, right? And like just the individual recordings of the Monday through Friday kind of guided practices around each of the aphorisms or bonus audio content mm-hmm. um, for the audiobook. What else might we be missing? Or are those the three big things? Well, I think just the way that the audiobook is much more consumable in its bite-sized audios is a really big thing. It's a big usability benefit, I think. Yeah. That's it. I, I think, I think I'm so excited for people to get their hands on this stuff. Mm. Like I just, I, I, I'm, oh, oh, I what? just, I just had a thought. Oh my gosh. What if people who are in the book club together commit to doing the aphorisms and like, Ooh. and they do them individually or maybe even together, they get together in a room in the morning. They just say them silently in their minds. Oh, I guess we're not getting together in rooms in the morning. We get together yeah. in Zoom in the morning or yeah. Microsoft Teams in the morning and say them in your yeah. minds but, or, or do it separately. But then sort of that's part of what they debrief in the book club guide or book club meetings too. Yeah. And, and for whenever, whatever day your book club might be, it could be a centering practice at the beginning of whatever that day is. Wow. I love that. Right. You know, gosh, maybe I'm not ready to adopt a practice of every single day, but when we've got book club day, right, we're going to just use that day's aphorism in our book club just to help baby step into the practice. Cause it can be overwhelming. Like I'm going to do this every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I, what was it? I did a, a, a wellness program and, and maybe it was kind of an aphorism in that, and I'm just now having the language for it, but they, um, it was, um, you don't say things like I'm going to walk every day, but you say, I walk more days than I don't. Oh, there you go. Right. And so it relieves a little bit of that pressure of, I have to be perfect and walk every day and I've let myself down, but it's just, I walk more days than I don't. Mm-hmm. I work out more days than I don't. I eat healthy more days than I don't. Well, that's helping me right now. <laughs> I like that a lot. I need to adopt that language. Yeah, because yeah, I knew about putting those things in the present tense, but I didn't know about just just tilting it toward more of what you want. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, I, um, I I said sort of like I felt excited and inspired, and it's like, oh, this is a great for us Monday morning conversation around you know the sunshine and all the things that are possible in this toolkit. I sort of now feel like I'm a kid sitting in the middle of a ball pit. (laughs) It's just like, I've got all of these things and it's bright and it's colorful and it's in my reach. And like, we can have fun together with all of this. So Lisa, thank you. Right. And I, for just bringing so much um, joy in this conversation with me today. Um, I hope other people are feeling that. And in all of these gifts that are going to go along with this wonderful, wonderful content. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to have the chance to talk about it and to tell people what's there and um, and to play around in the ball pit with you. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, what are you feeling grateful or thankful for right now? Um, 
Uh, I'm feeling grateful for parts of democracy that hold. There are things in the world that do hold. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I know, I know that had nothing to do with our conversation. No, But as no. you said it, I looked out my window and it just like, it almost came in the window at me like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me, it conjures in me a, an appreciation for um, the things that can keep us grounded in life. And that even in kind of those turbulent times, um, there are ways that we can cultivate that sense of being grounded within each of us. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for having those things in my life. Me too. And I think the more, the more we move into the future together, the more each of us is, is called to have that sort of grounding and that ability to stay functioning in turbulent times, this is not the last of it, I don't think. No. And, and we're good. We're good at it. Yeah. We agilists yeah. are really good at it. Yes. Yeah. We we are becoming experts in what it means to uplift society's ability to thrive in a complex and ever-changing world. Yes. Like that is sort of my, the, th the phrase I'm rallying around is like how to do that. Um, because it, complexity is. Turbulence is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. My pleasure. And what thank you, listeners, for tuning into this chat. We hope you've enjoyed it. Any final thoughts? Much love. That's Much it. Love. Much love Excellent. to everyone. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series. The Women in Agile podcast team is honored to be the home for this special content. If you enjoyed the show, we ask you to please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platform. That will help us achieve our mission of amplifying the voices of women in our Agile community. As always, a huge thank you to the Women in Agile podcast sponsor, Accenture Solutions IQ. And if you're interested in finding out more about the initiatives from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization, we invite you to visit womeninagile.org. Thanks again for tuning in.